Welcome to another episode of the Nate Knows Ball podcast. The NBA season just concluded. Exciting season, down to the wire. You got the play-in coming up tomorrow. Awards to be settled, and I got the cousins on to help me break down this episode. We got Max Schwartz and Jack Schwartz. Welcome to the show, guys. Sure, glad to be here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, I think there's no better spot than to start with the MVP award. I think, honestly, one of the closest races we've had in a long time. I mean, I think, in my opinion, it's probably wrapped up at this point, but I think this is the longest it's gone where there wasn't a winner known for a while. So I think it's between Embiid, Jokic, and the, Giannis still a dark horse in the race. I think he'll still get some votes. So what do you guys think for the MVP award? Uh, I'll start it off. Uh, for me, I know that the race is going to be towards the top with uh, Embiid and Jokic. Those are going to be the popular picks. But for me, I went with uh, I went with Giannis. I think he's deserving of the award. I think the Bucks having the best record in the league is meaningful for me. And if you just look at the just the basic statistics, I know Embiid's had a monster season, averaging thirty three points and ten rebounds a game. But Giannis's numbers are not too shabby himself. He averages thirty one and twelve. And he's obviously a two-way player, and uh, the game's played for me when you look at that. Giannis, that's probably his biggest weak point, 63 games compared to Jokic playing 69 and Embiid playing 66, but not much of a differential, or at least not enough for me to say, oh, you know, Giannis, I think anything over 60 is is good for me. And, uh, and yeah, I just, uh, I just think, go ahead. I was going to say, well, so technically... In the, the new CBA rules, Giannis couldn't even win next year, hypothetically, if he didn't play 65 games. Yeah, 65, right? He'd have, to, he'd have to apply I for an exception. I think 63 is close enough. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think it's good enough, and uh, I don't think the supporting cast for uh, for Giannis is that much better than what Embiid has. And if you look at Middleton's injuries – throughout the year or injury he's been a, a shell of himself averaging 15 points a game when he does play he's only played uh, 33 games this season and I think I think obviously Drew has stepped up Lopez has stepped up and, and there's a lot of good role players in Milwaukee but I don't think Tobias Harris James Harden and uh, that team especially you know, with Maxi as well emerging I think they've got a pretty good team around Embiid and I think uh, the record means a lot to me and I take Jokic out just because of voter fatigue and also just he's not as much of a two-way player as the other two guys. So for me, it was between Giannis and Embiid, and uh, I'm going with Giannis. Jack, how about you? Well, Nate alluded to it earlier. The race seemingly is wrapped up. Uh, I'm not sure why it's moved this direction, but, you know, look at the sports books, and Embiid seems to be the favorite. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of that comes down to just being maybe a little tired of the other guys. Um, you know, it seems like um, one of the consensus is that uh, people want to look back on these years, uh, this five-year stretch, and they want to, you know, see who the best players were quickly. And they went at a glance, you know, the MVP is sort of a, what shows that. And I think uh, it seems like people have decided that they want, they want to give one to uh, Embiid. They want to look back and show that he was the MVP one of these years. So um, if I had to vote and I had to pick someone, I would probably pick Giannis because I, I do think he's the best player in the league. But, you know, we've seen throughout history that that doesn't always happen, you know. A lot of times it doesn't win it. Um, you know, Kobe should have more, more MVPs, Durant, LeBron for sure. Um, and you can go back throughout history. So I think uh, it comes down to just, you know, it's a narrative thing. And I think people are a little tired of the other guys. And, um, 
you know, I think Jokic really hasn't done enough to really be in that three MVP category. I mean, that list is so small. Um, I mean, it's, you know, it's Wilt, it's Bill Russell, it's Bird, Moses, Magic, LeBron, and Jordan. So to throw him on that list seems a little crazy considering he's only been at the Western Conference Finals in the bubble year. So, you know, it's not enough for me personally. And uh, even though I know he's been amazing and the Nuggets have been really good. Um, and I, again, with Giannis, I feel like uh, maybe just 63 games, not meeting that criteria for what would be the future CBA rules. So I, I guess it's, that's, that's why it's lining up the way it is. But it's definitely really, really close. But do you think it's fair to, I guess, hold Jokic's lack of postseason success against him for an MVP award? Because at the end of the day, it still yeah. is a regular season award. Right, yeah. It has nothing to do with the playoffs or the past. So I think if you're looking at just this season, Jack, I think in just the regular season, you know, they could – I think if they lose in the first round and they get swept, I think that would have no impact on my thoughts for – if I had if I was voting for him to be the best the MVP, the best player this regular season, I think the playoffs, I think – it's obviously going to be in your mind. It's human nature to think about that, but I think it's all—it's just a regular season award. Who was the most valuable player this regular season? So I understand where you're coming from, but I'm with—I'm with Nate. I tend to ask that question. I say, what does that have to do with anything as far as the MVP for this season? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I think you're right. I was going to say, I think the thing with Jokic too is like, no one wants him to win again because like it's boring to have the same guy win two, three years in a row, especially when it's a guy like. Nikola Jokic like I think if it was like LeBron or Kobe like you alluded to winning three years in a row people would have no problem with it but I think just like the way Jokic plays and I guess you're right like the lack of postseason success makes people hesitant to want him to be a three-time MVP but the advanced numbers back him up whether you like it or not but also then again it becomes the decision of do you think the advanced numbers are how MVP should be awarded or should you just do go on the eye test and to me the eye test I agree with you, Max. I think Giannis is the best player. And I think he's still putting up a – I think he's putting up close a career high in points or close to it at least, and they're the best team in the league yeah. right now. So I I would vote for Giannis. But also I agree. I think you're right about Embiid. Where, not that he's undeserving of the award, but I do think people want to give him the award just because he's been so close the last few years where it feels like – he deserves one. I mean, it was kind of like when Harden won his MVP is that he had so many good years where like he was MVP worthy and didn't win when there wasn't kind of like a clear winner. People were like, okay, you're the MVP because not that, not that Harden didn't deserve his MVP, but it was just like, it felt like people wanted to give him one. And when there wasn't like an obvious answer that was the opportunity to do so. Yeah, I think you're right. I, you know, it's, it still would be kind of strange to see a guy like Jokic win it, you know, again, uh, when you go through the guys who won three MVPs, at the time of winning the third MVP, the least amount of success they had reached was uh, a finals appearance. And then in that third MVP season, they had won a championship in the case of LeBron, Wilt, and Moses Malone. So, you know, by the end of that third MVP season, they're all champions. And obviously, Jokic, you know, there's still plenty of time to prove us wrong. I mean, the playoffs are about to start, but um, you're right. I mean, it's a regular season award, but it, to me, you know, when you start putting him in that group, it just becomes such an... It, elite group of guys that like it seems almost ridiculous but um but i mean you know obviously he's moving that direction i mean he's, he's going to be a top 10 center for sure if he's not already and uh so i don't want to i mean we're watching history right here so i don't know it's it, it's it's definitely interesting but I, I i agree you know i think it's Embiid's turn i think they just want to give it to him and i feel like that's you know if i had to put money on it i would bet Embiid. but i think Giannis is still we remember him as the best player in the league this year Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair assessment. I mean, it's so hard, too, because, like, I think at the end of the day, like, the MVP is not necessarily an award that's 
the best player for the NBA. It's kind of just like not even who was like the best player for that season either. It was just like kind of like who was the most like who like I guess had kind of like the best season, but also I think it's sort of like a thing of like having like a breakthrough and like you're just like so numb to Giannis being this good. Like you're just kind of it's not it doesn't feel as exciting as like Embiid having this good of a season because like although like not to discredit Embiid or anything, but like Giannis has been doing this. So it doesn't feel as crazy that Giannis is putting up these kind of stats, you know? Agreed. It's a it's a narrative thing. And I think before the season, it looked like it would be Luca's turn. But obviously, we've seen the d- disaster of a season that <laughs> Dallas has had. So it's like, you know, he was kind of taken out of contention uh, if he wasn't already probably a month or two ago. And, uh, and Beats had this crazy season. But it's not like he's been super, super healthy. The team hasn't performed extraordinarily well. He's just had a really, really good dominant regular season and they've won i mean i think before the season you would have said that the the sixers would have been the the second third or fourth seed and he's he's put them right there and he's led that team there but i think like you're saying it, it's a narrative thing and uh and beat has kind of lived up to what you thought he he might jack alluded to it earlier last season he was very close this season it was just i think it's time for him to get over the hump so i have a feeling they're going to give it to him beat although all three of these guys are, are deserving. So all of them very dominant, great seasons. And they've all been relatively on the same boat as far as health goes. None of them playing over 70 games. So th- th- there's that. Yeah, I will say too, like, I think it's it's definitely been the closest race. Like, I feel like usually the MVP is decided with like, you know who the MVP is with like 10 games left in the regular season. And the fact that it's, I mean, I think obviously the season's over now. So I think Embiid's going to win, but yeah, I think it's the closest and like the longest you've gone in a season without really knowing who the MVP is, which was pretty cool to follow. I would agree. I would agree. And, I, and especially when you look at the the notion of like the, the best player not winning, you know, like, yeah, like I said, you know, I think Giannis is the best. I mean, look no further than Derek Rose 2011. You know, I mean, we all know the best player in the league is LeBron at that point. He's uh, in a span of five years where he wins four MVPs, but. You know, I think, yeah, my, I think it's just Embiid's turn. I think people want to give it to him. And uh, I, I think that's just the way the medium works. You know, it's just uh, everyone joins together and forms a group opinion. And I think that's just the opinion they've decided on at the end. You know, well, let me so ask the question. It's strange, but. Would you guys rather just, would you rather have the MVP be like it is now or would you rather the best player actually win it every year? Like, do you think this is a good measure of the award or would you rather just say who's the best player of the season, essentially? Definitely the best player this season. You know, I, I I think the way it is, the way it's so narrative based and it's not, I think it just be who it should just be who had the best season over the course of the year. And it's an individual word. I also think if you're the fifth or sixth or seventh seed, that shouldn't take you out of contention either necessarily. I mean, you play for a certain team that should be kept in mind depending on how good they do. But I think it's an individual award. It should be who has the best individual season, who was the best player that season. The way it is now, I think, is completely upside down. Yeah, I agree. I mean, honestly, like, as, like, a basketball fan, like, I feel like you'd like to just see the best player win it because, like, that's who – I feel like that would more – like, when you're looking back, like, legacy talks, like, going through the decades, whatever it is, like, I think it would be way more beneficial if you're just, like, the MVPs actually, like – who was the best player that year? Because I think it kind of takes away from what the MVP actually means when it's all narrative driven and like there's guys winning it that 
maybe weren't even like a top five player in the league. And not that like any of I don't think there's been any MVP winner that's like been like completely undeserving. Like that's not what I'm saying, but I just think like it would be easier to like look back and compare someone's legacy saying like you were the MVP five times if it was truly like an award that just was given to the player that was best that season. You think that good, like a guy like Steve Nash, I don't think when he won it, I don't think anybody would have ever considered him the true best player in the league at the time, but because just just the way it looked and uh, that, that's who they wanted to give it to those seasons. And uh, I mean, he's got to be one of the worst back-to-back MVPs that we'll ever see. And he's, you know, a Hall of Fame player, but I think if you, especially if you look at his raw numbers, they're not overwhelming. So no. uh, just one guy you think of, but we've seen, we've seen that plenty of times where uh, guys win and, they weren't necessarily the best player that season. And uh, it's probably a disgrace. And when you look back in 20, 30, 40 years, it would be nice to say, oh, they won the MVP. They were the best player that season. But it's not the case. But it's a it's a decent indication. It means they were probably, you know, top three, four, five most impactful players. But it's probably, it's probably not good the way it is, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I, don't, I just don't know. At the end of the day, I don't think you can change how it is. Like, I think just like the nature of the world where it's like the media voting and that sort of thing, like it's so hard for it to not be narrative driven, but at the end of the day, it is what it is. And I'm not the, I think Embiid is a deserving MVP and I think he is ultimately going to win. And I think it sounds like we're all kind of on the same page as if Giannis is probably the most deserving player, but I think with the way the MVP has been given, I think Embiid deserves it. I think we're on the same page. So we can move on to Rookie of the Year. This one's a little more straightforward, I think. Uh, Paul Bancaro has had this wrapped up for quite some time now. Some late late guys coming on to kind of make a interesting case, or at least a, a late push for an all-rookie team sort of thing. But you guys speak up if you think anyone besides Paul should win. But I think the more interesting debate would be who... Who do you guys think would be the runner-up? Who else is, is on your rookie of the year ballot? Well, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Walker Kessler. I think what he's done replacing Gobert has been super impressive, and I think even the Jazz probably didn't expect it. I have him as my second, with Jalen uh, Williams as my third. Uh, but I mean, you could you could make the argument for Jalen Williams. I mean, they're playing in the play in the Thunder, so I mean, you know, they've technically had more success out of really a lot of the the teams with these high uh, high pick rookies. So. Um, I, you know, I guess I just like what Walker Kessler's doing and, you know, when they were, you know, for, for most of the season, they were, you know, a 500 team and, and really surprising people. So maybe it's just a surprise play on my part thinking, you know, just cause I wasn't seeing it coming and their team having success, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think those are the two guys, though. they're going to be uh, second and third unless, I mean, there's, there's a few other names in there, the Matherin, but that's, that's what I have. Yeah. I think, uh, obviously Bancaro far and away, the the best rookie this year, the raw numbers speak for themselves, 20 and seven magic, even though they may have had a disappointing season with, you know, 34 wins. They had, I believe they had 22 the year before. So last year, and I think he's a big reason why they've improved. Um, and he just passes the eye test. I mean, this guy's just a monster out there, super strong, big guy. He's averaging uh, over seven free throws a game as a rookie, extremely impressive. And you just watch him play and he just looks like he's going to be a force. I mean, he already is one. So, uh, but for number two, I got to go with Jack on this one. Uh, I definitely think uh, Walker Kessler is uh, is up there. I think what he does on the defensive end, as far as being a presence, 
is has been amazing. Great shot blocker. Um, and he's been a big part of the reason why uh, Utah, along with, of course, Markinen and Clarkson and a, a bunch of, you know, great play from, you know, even Conley when they had him. They've just been a uh, good coaching, everything overall. But I think uh, Walker Kessler has been, been a big part of that as a rookie. And it's even more hilarious just that he he replaced just the haul that Minnesota gave for Gobert, who is now, you know, just punching teammates and doesn't look uh, as good as uh, – I don't want to say he doesn't look as good as he just he's not a very impactful player for what they gave up. I mean, they gave up a haul for him and then they got this rookie coming in that they you get for for nothing. And this guy's he's in the he's in the Gobert spot. And uh, I wouldn't say he's as good as Gobert right now, but give him three years. That, that's where it looks like he's going to be. So just a good story. Good story in Utah. And I think uh, the, the future's uh, bright for him. Yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting you said that because I think. Obviously, like you said, he's not Gobert. He's not that good yet. But, like, the fact that they had, like, a in-house replacement right away that could pretty much play the exact Rudy Gobert role in even better in some aspects of his game. I mean, I think he's more of an offensive threat than Rudy Gobert, and so you can make that case, too. And I think that's pretty crazy that they got that replacement pretty much immediately. And obviously, I mean, Minnesota gave up, what, four first-round picks and, like, three swaps or something crazy like that? And they really turned not out to mention not... just the salary that you're you're taking in. Oh yeah, not to cut you off. Just I mean, you're, this guy's getting. I think he's on a max deal or close to it. And then you got this guy who's obviously on a rookie contract. So you just look at you know what they gave up, and they're taking in this guy that's just getting paid a a, a ton of money. So it's yeah, I mean, I mean, I think if you're Utah, you got to be. I mean, we can talk a little bit more Utah later, but I think just in terms of Walker Kessler and just where they're at. I mean, I think you have to be happy with the way that trade ended up going down. And then also for the other rookies, I mean, like you said, Jalen Williams, great season. I think not a not a guy a lot of people expected at the season he had. I mean, you could say that about a lot of players in Oklahoma City as well. I think also one of the best stories in the league. But it definitely was an open year for rookies. I mean, obviously, Paulo, far and away, rookie of the year. I don't think that's really a debate at this point. but. Jabari Smith, the number two pick or number three pick, kind of had a rough go in Houston. Not that he was horrible, but just sort of inefficient. Couldn't really find his footing right away. And then obviously Chet, my boy Chet from Gonzaga, didn't play a single game. Although he says he's looking big. Uh, That's all I'll say that. Maybe rookie of the year next year. Looks like he's put on some weight, but... It probably like three, four, five pounds at least. You see the side-by-side picture that was going (laughs) around and... uh... The guy looks like he's gained uh, a little bit of mass for sure. <laughs> I mean, he's sleeper for rookie of the year next year. I think it'll be. I think it'll be fun to watch them next year. You put Chad in that lineup because obviously they've been great this year. I mean, definitely one of the surprises of the league. But Chad's a, Chad's a good player, and yeah, he's you'll kinda, see. He's a good modern day NBA player. I mean, you could you could knock him on his size. You could say he's not big enough, but there's a lot of players that aren't big enough in the NBA today compared He'll to what he used his to body. be. He'll grow into his body, but it'll be interesting to see if they give him the Ben Simmons treatment. Remember when, you know, Ben sat out his whole first year, won it in his second year, which was really his rookie year. And that was a big thing between him and uh, I believe it was Donovan Mitchell, where they said, you know, because Ben Simmons had time to work out, get used to the NBA schedule, things like that, that he he probably should should have been ineligible or some people so that he should be eligible for the award, which I think is ridiculous. I think as long as you haven't played an NBA game yet, you should be uh, have the ability to win Rookie of the Year. But it'll be interesting. And obviously with uh, 
with a lot of big names coming in next year. Uh, namely that, namely that guy from France, the eight foot fiver. So we'll see if, uh, we'll see if he can make a name for himself with, I guess he'll kind of be put into that rookie class sorta. Obviously he, he won't be drafted with those guys, but he'll be in contention for rookie of the year with those guys. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good point too, is like, although like obviously Chet's a big name and like he had a lot of hype coming out of college and going into college as well. I don't, there's literally not been a more high player than that guy, Victor Wabanyama out of France. So I think it would take, it would take a lot for him to not win rookie of the year next year. Like, I think as long as he like even comes close to meeting expectations, he's going to be the rookie of the year. And even Scoot Henderson too, is a guy that's been, I think if Wabanyama wasn't there, would have a ton of hype coming out of this class too. Like not to go on a complete tangent here, but I, I think the draft class next year might be one of the best that there's been in, a long time. Certainly at the yeah, top. Yeah, I'm super excited for when the end of Blazers. Yeah. Oh God. No, I will see. Heard some uh, lot, lot of teams fighting for that first pick. A lot, you know, some some real real crazy tank jobs at the end of the year. Uh, he's a bull. Yeah. Uh, it's Derek Rose 2.0. They're gonna rig it for us. It's gonna be great. <laughs> or give us. And it seems honestly, like we need a point guard. This is, the, this is a classic Blazers. Blazers will get it, and he's going to break his foot twice, and then you know, it's all going to go sideways. That's that's classic Blazers move. Yeah, I mean, he gets on Portland, he'll suck. That's just the reality of it. <laughs> you want to move on to uh, defense player of the year? Yeah, we can move on to Depoy. I think for that, two main candidates. Obviously, I think it's between Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brooke Lopez. Uh, for me, I'm a Brooke Lopez guy, which is kind of crazy because I don't think anyone would have thought Brooke Lopez would be a defensive player of the year if you said that even last year or two years ago. Like, it just doesn't sound right. But I think he's clearly proven he's one of the most impactful defenders. Obviously, Milwaukee, I mean, he's playing with Giannis, who's also one of the best defenders in the, in the league. So I think that does help. But obviously, mm-hmm. Milwaukee with Giannis, him, Drew Holiday, one of the best defenses in the league. And I think the stats just back it up. I mean, he's when he's on the floor, he's pretty much been the most impactful defender in the league. And although Jaron Jackson Jr. is probably the flashier pick, I mean, he leads the league in blocks and crazy how many blocks he has considering how many minutes he plays. But that's the thing for me is that I don't think Jaron Jackson Jr. is really playing enough to beat up Brook Lopez, in my opinion. Like, although he hasn't missed a crazy amount of game, like total games, he's only playing like 27 minutes, 28 minutes a game. So Brooke Lopez has played like essentially 20 more full games than him. And for me, that's the tiebreaker. I'm with you. I think I'd, it's, uh, I'd like to, go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say, I'd like to see Lopez win it. I, you know, again, you look at the odds and you start just kind of seeing where the narrative's going. It looks like Jackson is at least a slight favorite, but I mean, what Lopez is doing at 35, you know, I mean, and he kind of came up on us randomly as one of the better defenders in the league. I mean, he has a, a random second team defense selection in 2020, but you know, really it's been amazing. I mean, everyone knows the three point shooting story with him, but defensively it's been kind of crazy how I just out of nowhere became one of the best in the league. And, and, you know, if you look at the metrics, he's up there with, with all of the the best defenders. I mean, him, uh, Mobley's up there, sneaky Jackson, Bam at a bio, but, but he's really, you know, his, his metrics are off the charts and, uh, and then, and then you give him the edge, and he's played in, uh, you know, 78 games, uh, 79, I believe, after today. And uh, in a league where people don't really crack the 70 mark, you know, that, that means something to me, too. 
yeah, his his career turnaround has been unbelievable, going from really just a a post player, and then like you mentioned, just becoming arguably the best big man three point shooter in the league. Uh, well, you know, Towns or even Jaron Jackson would would probably say uh, otherwise, but I think Lopez is just amazing what he, what he's been able to do from three point line, and he's a a big uh, paint presence. It's like uh, and being next to Giannis, Nate, like you mentioned, it helps. And then you got Drew Holiday at the top guarding all the guards. But, um, yeah, I, I, would, I would give it to Lopez. I think it's it could be a toss-up. I mean, even though uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. averages three blocks a game, Lopez comes in at two and a half. So I don't think it's uh, it's that far off. Like you mentioned, the game's played. I think I think you could give it to Lopez, and that will just cement him as uh, just one of the all-time great uh, stories in the league. So you can give it to Lopez and, and the Bucks have the fourth, fourth best defense. So, I mean, the team stats and his own individual stats back it up. So give it to Lopez. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, I think it's, it probably wouldn't be as close if Jaron Jackson Jr. Wasn't, I guess, just like the flashy pick. Cause obviously like Brooke Lopez, like, I mean, we all, we all said it. I mean, he's 35, 36. Like it's a crazy story how like he's kind of molded in the player that he is today. But I think obviously as a 35-year-old, like he's not not the same athlete as Jaron Jackson Jr. I mean, Jaron Jackson Jr. is kind of like when you look up a defensive player of the year, like that's what you imagine. You imagine big athletic guy that's blocking shots into the stands, and that's not what Brooke Lopez is. But I think the stats back up that Brooke Lopez has been the most impactful defender this year, and that's why I think he deserves it. I, I think the MVP's uh, – sorry, the defensive player of the year is similar to MVP – where sometimes the best player doesn't always win it, the best defensive player. I think we saw that last year with Smart, uh, at yeah. least. You know, that was, in my opinion, that was kind of a, a weird uh, a weird winner. But I know he's obviously has a great reputation as defender. You know, and I, I'm curious what you guys think, because, you know, when I'm looking at the, the the leaderboard for defensive player of the year, you know, and I, I'm sure, obviously, it's going to be between Jackson and Lopez. But, you know, I might pick Bam. I might even pick Giannis as the best pure defender in the league. I mean, you know, there's obviously, you know, you look back and Draymond Green's probably past his prime, but you know, guys like that are really, you know, arguably the best defenders in the league. Drew Holiday, even maybe, but I, I you know, my philosophy is a guy that's, you know, versatile, that can guard all positions. You know, that's why, uh, you know, I, I love Bam, you know, in particular, he's my third for defense player of the year. But, um, you know, I find that similarity between the MVP where just there's years where the consensus best defensive player doesn't make it. I mean, we've seen years where Marcus Sol won in 2013 and made all defensive second teams. So clearly people didn't really make up their mind on, you know, where, where he stood as the league's best defender. So, you know, I'm not sure what you guys think about that, but I, I, uh, no, I, I, I don't know if I would actually give these guys. I'm totally with you. I would say the best defender in the league individually, you could say it's Bam or Giannis, but I think Bam just with his, his versatility, the fact that he literally could guard one through five for even a whole game if he needed to. Um, but so I have him third on my list, but the Heat being eighth in defensive rating as a team and his raw defensive numbers of just 1.2 steals and 0.8 blocks per game, they just, they don't make up for for everything else. So I think if he had some better numbers on on paper, I think maybe you could really consider giving it to him and with his versatility that, that helps his case. And he's played a ton of games, I think 74 games this year. But I think, you, I don't think you can win defensive player of the year as a big man averaging less than one block per game that just wouldn't feel right even though we know he's a good defender we know what he brings to the table so i'm totally with you i think the the best defensive player might not necessarily win it 
it's a I mean all these awards are are sort of narrative driven, but definitely MVP and defensive player of the year are at the top of that. Yeah, I mean I think like you said, at the end of the day it's the counting stats are what the public's looking at. So it's although you could know someone like Bam is probably one of, if not the most impactful defender in the league, like if the stats don't back up that argument, it's it the the voters aren't gonna vote him as defensive player of the year. And it's as simple as that. And I think when you thought about last year too, like I think last year it was sort of like there it's been so rare that a perimeter player can win defensive player of the year that like when there was a case for one, it just became the narrative that Marcus Smart was the defensive player of the year. And not that I think Marcus Smart again, I don't think Marcus Smart was undeserving of it, but like he was not the best defensive player in the league. And it, it was just like people wanted him to win. Not even the best defensive player on his team. I mean, Robert Williams last year had a, had a case himself, and I would have picked him over Smart. So him not being the best defensive player on his team, even Horford and Tatum's become a sort of a two-way player, Brown as well. So you got great team defense there, and I would definitely have not given him the award. But you know, like you're saying, I think uh, it's all uh, it's all – Oh, a guard can win it. He's got a case. Well, this year we'll give it to him just because it's a, it's a great story. But he's not the best defender in the league, and I don't think he ever was, even even last year. No, definitely not for Marcus Smart. And, I mean, I think that's very clear this year. I mean, this year he's not even trying a defense. He said, I got my award. I'm done. I don't need to play defense <laughs> anymore. But, yeah, I think we were – Sounds like we are all pretty much in agreement. Brook Lopez is deserving of defensive player of the year. I think we'll see what happens. I, I think that's honestly, at this point, that might be the closest one, just in what's undecided, because I think it's kind of polarizing arguments for each guy, but should be interesting. Uh, next award I want to talk about, sixth man of the year. This is another one where I think it's an interesting discussion. I think, obviously, it's between Malcolm Brogdon and Emmanuel Quickly at this point. Um, it's, I think it's also a pretty close one. I mean, this was one that I think will be pretty close between the voters as well. For me, Malcolm Brogdon should win, but it's not because I don't like Emmanuel quickly. I just think from, for the actual award itself, sixth man of the year, Malcolm Brogdon has been the best sixth man. And I think Emmanuel quickly has had an awesome season for the Knicks and he's been a super impactful player for them. But you look at his stats, and most of his big games have come when he was a starter and not as a sixth man. So I think Malcolm Brogdon just kind of represents the award a bit better and just represents, like, what an elite sixth man looks like. 100%. To piggyback off what you said, Brogdon, who has you know averages similar points per game as quickly, has played all 67 games off the bench, whereas you look at a guy like quickly who – his stats off the bench, I think he averages around 12 points per game off the bench, but he averages around uh, close to 15 for the season. And he's played uh, 20 games as a starter of the 80 that he's played. So sort of, you know, like I said, piggybacking off what you said, I think a lot of his big games have been uh, as a starter. And that doesn't, that, it's not a knock on him as a player, but just like you said, I think as a six man, I think, and we saw last year with Tyler Hero, even though he came off the bench for a lot of his games, uh, he averaged a ton of minutes. He averaged, I think, over 30 minutes a game. So, And that's not what you think of when you think of a six-man. I think 
I'm thinking of a guy who comes off the bench all the time, start a few games, and plays probably less than 25 minutes a game. And I think Brogdon, because he's a true six man and averages similar numbers to to quickly as far as scoring, uh, I would give it to Brogdon as well. Yeah, I think the sleeper pick here is probably a guy like Bobby Portis. He probably won't win it. But, you know, you look at the records in the NBA, obviously the Bucs have the best record in the league, and, and Portis is averaging 14 and almost 10 rebounds. I think that's a, a sneaky guy who honestly maybe could find his way to the to the second place. You know, I, I would probably even take him over quickly, potentially just because of the, the Bucks record. But I would agree, you know, the initial idea of the award, when you look back, first year, 1983, a guy named Bobby Jones won it. He didn't start a single game, and he kind of really fit the mold of what, what the expectation was for a six-man, you know, come in and do whatever's asked and it's become the scoring award it's become you know very popular with these high scoring guards uh or i should say more common uh winners amongst those guys and uh, i think brogdon really a little more so is uh a true representation of what it's supposed to be again not starting games he's a true uh do-it-all guy for them off the bench facilitating um you know and, and i think you know i like i said i, I like i like portis a lot just because they're, they're winning some games and you know a lot of games and, and he's a big part of it but um the quickly thing for me doesn't make sense. And I, I you know, I hate to keep referencing, uh, you know, the, the sports books, but that, you know, it does give a good idea of the consensus. And to me, it doesn't make sense that quickly is the favorite. I mean, that's what you see when you look it up. And um, th- that to me is uh, a little perplexing just because I'm, I'm less impressed than, than others, at least. Um, do you think, you know, do you with, think uh, that they should to sort of, I mean, it should be up, up in the air. Like we should be like, Oh, you know, he's, he started a quarter of his games. Should we give it to him? Should we not give it to him? Does he is he a bench player? Do you think that they should add a requirement as far as the percentage of games that you can uh, start if you're going to win the sixth man of the year? Like, do you think they should just say, hey, if you start more than thirty percent of your games, you're no longer considered a bench player, or if you play more than thirty-one minutes a game, you're no longer considered a bench player. You're you're a, you're a starter basically. Do you think they should do that, or do you think they should just say, hey, whatever you think, if this guy's over 50% of his games, he comes off the bench, doesn't matter how many minutes he plays, doesn't matter if uh, for 45% of his games he started, he counts as a, a candidate for six man of the year. What do you think? I think that definitely would be a good requirement. Like, I think more beneficial than saying, like, players have to play 65 games or whatever the new requirement is for every award. Because, like, I just think the nature of the award is it's a six man. It's someone coming off the bench who is the most impactful player off the bench. And when you have players that are starting in half their games, it kind of obviously one changes their stats. Cause like most of the time when these guys are inserted, in the starting lineup, they're playing more minutes, they're putting on better numbers. So I think to me, like you have to be a bona fide bench player in order to really represent the award fairly. And I think that, should disqualify Manuel quickly from the conversation, in my opinion. But obviously, the voters are going to see a different thing. They're going to see, oh, Manuel quickly is putting up great numbers. Obviously, he's had some crazy games, and they're not going to. I don't think they're going to take into account that he really hasn't thrived as a six man as much as Brogdon has. And I think you made an interesting point too, Jack, about Bobby Portis. I think Bobby Portis is a guy that potentially, I mean, could be more impactful than Brogdon. I mean, you're not going to see it in the counting stats. But like you said, it's at the end of the day, it's pretty much feels like at this point, the six man of the year, sort of like how the defensive players 99% of the time an award for a big, 
the sixth man of the year is pretty much just an award for guards that come off the bench and score. Yeah, it's sort of a shame because, uh, you know, it, you just you see this trend forming, you know, it started with guys like Crawford and Lou Williams and Hero and Clarkson, you know, perfect examples. And, you know, I, I think uh, it'd be nice for a guy like Portis to get that recognition. I will say, though, he has started 21 games, so very similar to Quickly. And I, I think Quickly, the only thing going in his favor is he's played. Uh, he's going to have played 81 games, which is, again, you know, I, I value that in the same way I value that with Brooke Lopez, just because, again, I just, you see where the MVP conversation is going with these guys who are playing uh, mid-60s games. So I, I like that he's playing, but, um, you know, Brogdon, to me, is uh, is a better example. And I think that he, even though he scores, you know, about 15 a game, I think he actually is a good example of a guy who isn't really, a, you know, known for just being a guy who just comes in and shoots. So I, I like that he sort of, although he's a guard, I think he does sort of change the narrative a little bit about the award. And hopefully we can move towards, a, um, you know, a time again where it can be a guy like, like the original winner, as I mentioned, Bobby Jones, who averaged eight points a game, but they knew his value. He was an all-defensive type guy. And I, I'd like to maybe see that again in the future. But, you know, obviously with the way the media works, you know, I don't know if a guy like that's ever going to win it again because he's not really going to jump off the, the page statistically. So, And, and it's interesting because if you if somebody asked you, if they told you, hey, these are the top two candidates, you got Quickly, you've got Brogdon, who had the better season? I think the correct answer to that question is Quickly. I think Quickly has had a better season. But when it comes to who who is the better sixth man, it was Brogdon. So uh, this is not like a knock on Quickly at all. And I think he's had a very successful season and he won't win it. But, you know, you could put him up there as far as uh, maybe a top 10 most improved player but as far as the six man I don't think he should win it. I think he will win it though because they're like like we said there's no requirements for how many games you you have to start or how many minutes you have to play or you know whatever so I think I think quickly will win it I think Brogdon is a is a true six man and he'll he should win it but just the way it is so unless they make a change I think uh guys like quickly will continue to win it because they're at a huge advantage yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think I agree. I mean, I think it's it, for me. It's not a knock on quickly. It's just how I value the award. It's Brogdon for me, but I think the voters are going to go quickly, like you said. But we can move on to most improved player. I think this one's another interesting debate. Uh, top two candidates seem like it's pretty much between Shea and Larry Markkinen, both very kind of different stories and how they ended up improving on their games this season. But I'm interested to hear what you guys think about this one. Uh, for me, I'm, I think that I think Shea's going to win it. I think just because his numbers jump off the page, but when you look at Shea as a player, he averaged uh, around 25 points per game last season. So I think he was already that guy last year. I don't know if we've seen he's improved for sure. But I think this guy, the jump he's made is not as drastic as the jump that other guys have made. I think uh, Jalen Brunson and Lowry Markin, and for me, it's a toss up. I think Brunson going from 16 points per game to 24 points per game and probably being arguably the next best player this season, even though he wasn't uh, recognized by being an all-star this season, he's, he's probably their best player up there with Randall and then Markin uh, going from 15 points a game to 25 and a half and being a part of a surprising Utah team. So I think both of them, or all three of them, have great numbers. 
I think for me, it's between Brunson and Markkinen who have just, uh, I think, improved more than Shea has, although Shea is by far and away the best player of the three. Um, but as far as improvement goes from last season to this season, I think Brunson and Markkinen have, uh, to me, they represent what the award, uh, what the what the award is. Yeah, I think it becomes a, a question of, as you said, kind of what what's the nature of the award? You know, I, I was not a fan uh, last year when John Morant won it just because I thought here's a guy who's already on a, the fringe of an all-star selection, or I should say two years ago when he won it. Um, you know, he, he was already averaging 19 a game. And, um, it, you know, and he was, he was a really impressive player uh, to begin with. And so that's sort of what I see with Shea. You know, he's already a good player, or was last year. And I personally value a guy going from, you know, starter, decent starter to, to true all-star, you know, and that seems to be the case with both Brunson and Markin. And so I actually had Shea third just because that's what I value in a guy. Um, and I had Markin in one just because, you know, it was a coin toss between him and Brunson for me, but I just, him making the all-star team. And I, I like the story as well. Um, but, you know, I, I value a guy going from kind of nobody to good player. Like we've seen with guys like DJ McCollum and, and, and Jimmy Butler in some ways. I guess Jimmy Butler is maybe more of a case like Markin where he's a, solid player, but I think they moved up a couple tiers, whereas Shades moved up one tier. And, and again, you know, very impressive. He's going to be all NBA, but uh, you know, that, I value the the jump that those other guys made a little more. Yeah. I think this is the one I'm going to disagree with you guys on, because I think, I think Shay, although, yeah, you could say he was already really good coming into this year. I think the hardest jump in the league to make is kind of going from a good player into like an elite all-star level player. And I think it's clear that Shea's made that jump, whether that's just looking at his improvement in points per game, like his counting stats. But also, I think the really biggest factor you see it in is that Oklahoma City is a winning basketball team this year. And obviously, not that they're like an only team or anything, but the fact that he was able to lead that team into the play-in after they pretty much had the expectation that they were going to be picking in the top five again for however, what, third year in a row, something like that. I think that says a lot about Shea. And I think... Brunson's a good one. I think Brunson has an interesting case. Obviously, I think he's third in the odds right now. But I, I like I like Brunson because I do feel like he was another guy that made a huge leap. Like, uh, like honestly, in Dallas, like I think you kind of thought that was his ceiling. And a lot of people thought it was an overpay by the Knicks to bring him in. And it probably wasn't going to work out. And I think he's made everyone look dumb. I mean, it looks like a phenomenal contract. Obviously got the Knicks back into the playoffs. And my only knock on marketing, although I think it's a really good story as well. And obviously Utah, again, was another team that was probably more competitive than other people. But for me, marketing, the only problem I have with him is I do question how much, I guess, marketing actually improved or if it was just, a beneficiary of being in a situation where he was kind of allowed to flourish and do more of his, his own thing. Yeah. I mean, he went from like a uh, small yeah. forward on a, on like a rebuilding team in Cleveland. They had him, you know, sandwiched in there with two big guys and maybe wasn't uh, the key focus of the, uh, of the offense. And then, you know, like you said, just kind of gets, he gets thrown into this uh, Donovan Mitchell trade. And then is the vocal point of a team that, was not intending to do as well as they did. I mean, this was supposed to be a rebuilding, almost tanking year for the Jazz, and 
I think uh, I think good coaching and stellar play from guys they probably weren't expecting it from have led them to to be where they are. Markkinen's one of those guys, but I think uh, you're probably right in the sense that the opportunity and him just uh, being sort of the vocal point of the uh, uh, of the offense has a big impact on who he is, who he has become as a player. But at the same time, I think this guy uh, he had you know great rookie year with Chicago. And then sort of, I don't want to say fell off, but it looked like he had peaked. It looks like it looked like his his first couple of years in Chicago were where he was going to end up being as far as his ceiling. And then all of a sudden, guy rises from the dead and becomes uh, potentially an All NBA player. He was an All Star and uh, one of the better power forwards in the league and a super coveted uh, asset in Utah. So I th- I definitely think, but I I think he could be a winning player. I mean, they're already. They already won a lot of games, so I think if you put him in there with uh, a couple other good players, I think his numbers would go down a little bit. But I still think he, his confidence and his—I mean, you watch him play. This guy, this guy's a stud. You know, he can he can shoot threes, he can bang inside, and uh, he's just—he's a dog. So really happy for him. And uh, I think the situation has something to do with it. But I think that was more of a confidence thing than a that had had anything to do with. Uh, maybe like inflated statistics or anything like that. I think he, he really is a really good player and efficient. Yeah. yeah you may have changed my mind here. Oh, sorry. No, you got it. I was just going to, I was just going to say like, yeah, I think it is. I don't, I agree. Like, it's not like when I said, like, obviously the situation was better for Larry, like to, to perform. I was not to say I didn't think he got better. Like, obviously I don't think you put Bulls, Martin Larkin and Lori Markin in, in this situation. Like this was not how he was going to play. So he certainly got a lot better, but I do think some of it maybe he did have before, and it was just he never really got the freedom to kind of do it, you know? Yeah. I was going to say, I think he may have changed my mind on this because I did have Markin winning. Uh, you know, of the three players in the mix, with Brunson and Shea, he did win the lead. Um, I would counter to the improvement, which I know you're, you're you know, just going back on that. I know um, he is shooting a crack from the field, from the free throw line. And basically ties career in three point percentage at thirty nine percent. So, I mean, yeah, it sort of remains to be seen if he could be on a true, you know, one of the you know the first or second banana, I guess, on, on a good team. But he he certainly is a good player. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, th- I guess it probably to me, and now that we talked it through, maybe it's between Brunson and uh, and Shea. And uh, I think you really can make a case for both because because Brunson is winning more than than both those guys. But uh, but you're right that that jump from all star level player to you know on the A first team kind of situation that you know that's obviously the, the hardest jump to make in the league so it's it's really tough tough call yeah i mean it's hard i mean i think all these guys are worthy too and i think honestly like in the last few years this is kind of the best this is one of the best like uh i guess kind of conversations we've had surrounding the award i think it's rare that you have so many guys that are have made such a big leap but shay is my vote yeah, I mean, bananas, a lot of good bananas in this year's race. So it should be interesting to see how it shakes out. I think this is one that will be close with the voters as well. All right, should we move on? Do you want to, to do a minute on Coach of the Year? Or is, does anyone care about Coach of the Year? Yeah, that I mean, yeah, I think it's obvious. But I, I want to give Mike Brown, give him his flowers, light the beam. I think it's the obvious <laughs> answer. I mean, I think, I mean, there was a case, I think, for Missoula at the beginning of the year, but just kind of the way they 
to the end of the season, I think that's kind of over. There's sort of a case for Michael Malone in Denver just because I think obviously they finished the one seed and not everyone expected that, but it has to be Mike Brown. I mean, the Kings are awesome, and no one no one saw that coming. Yeah, unless unless somebody else had won like 65 games or something like that, I think this one was uh, Mike Brown's to uh, to lose. I think having – I don't know what the drought was. I think it was like 16 years or something crazy that they had missed the playoffs. Yeah, I think it was 06 uh, was the last time they made it. Okay, yeah, so just an incredibly long time, and he brings them back with a roster that – after the Sabonis trade, I mean, they had this roster last year, a few few changes, uh, but I think he's overperformed if you look at the roster um, and just th- their team has been uh, playing good basketball throughout the whole year. And uh, it's just been uh, a pleasure to watch and I'm happy for him. I'm happy for the Kings fans. I know they got a good fan base and uh, I think you got to give it to him. I think nobody else has stood out enough. Like you mentioned, Missoula started off looking like maybe he would win it. With uh, with him coming in sort of short notice, and uh, you thought maybe he would have a chance to really make an impact, but with them not even being the the one seed in the East, I think you've got to give it to uh, Mike Brown, who just really overperformed. Uh, yeah, no argument for me. I, I think it's a it's, it's their year. How much success is given to the Beam? You think he wins this award if they don't bring out the Beam? No chance. I think they're they're in the lottery right now if they, if they don't have the Beam. That was a turning point, you know. Um, they were already doing well, but I think that – or they're already doing okay. But once they started to do that, I think that was, what, first quarter of the season, around that point? Yeah, it was like 10, 15 off. games in. So, I mean, you could give Coach of the Year to to the it's Beam. A, yeah, you could give it to the Beam. I mean, the Beam deserves some sort of award, I think. Something, some recognition. Um, but we'll give it to Brown just because he fits the mold of a Coach of the Year. but. I think, I think either either one is is fine. You know, just we we got to recognize the Kings, and however you do that, it is what it is. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's this to me is the it's the easiest award to settle. I mean, this for Paul for Rookie of the Year, but pretty yeah. No, pretty I think the Kings forward. the Kings being a top banana in the in the West is uh <laughs> is important. <laughs> No, I mean, in, in a year where no one won 60 games, it's a, it's a weird year. And, and I think you kind of have to just say, all right, you know, no team was far and above the best. Like you said, no one won 65 games or anything like that. So give it to the best story. They're still a good team, you know. And we've seen we've seen plenty of coaches of the years amongst the different seeds. I mean, uh, a couple of years ago was, was Thibodeau. So, I mean, you know, he was a fifth seed. So, you know, you don't have to be an elite team you know, or a championship contender. You just have to have, you know, a good story and, and I think break expectations a bit. And, uh, you know, the sorry Kings having this year is uh, – I think that's enough. I put I put my house on that if I had to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like Max said, I think like you go to the fruit market and you're picking out your bananas. You didn't expect the Kings to be one of the best bananas out there, and that is that the story in itself to me cements the Mike Brown's legacy as honestly one of the best coaches in the league and obviously a deserving winner of the award. Yeah, I just go back to your supermarket example. I think that if you went. <laughs> If you had gone to the store, you would probably expect the Kings to be, you know, a brown or banana. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it's a banana you just didn't expect to see being like the perfect ripe one. I think either you're thinking it's either 
past drive a little brown are just so green that they're just not ready for the big stage yet. And there they are looking great. I'm with you. All right, let's move on. That one, we we agree. Top banana for the Kings. So do you want to do, what do we, do we miss any of the awards? Uh, do we want to talk playoffs? Um, I, th- I think let's we... move. I think we can move into the plane. Uh, well, first I kind of want to talk about, we can talk about some of these teams that just missed. Obviously, the most notable one being the Mavericks. Uh, coming off the conference finals last year, make the Kyrie trade at the deadline. Obviously, they ended up letting Brunson walk for the Knicks. Well, I don't know if they let him walk, but Brunson walked for nothing. They trade all their role players essentially for Kyrie, and it's kind of just a disaster of the year. So my question for you guys is, what went wrong for Dallas, and how do you fix it at this point going forward? I think I think getting Kyrie when they were the four seed, they probably thought that they were going to move. It would only help them adding another closer and going into the playoffs. They would have just another really good uh, – just another really good player to put next to Luka, which they, they didn't really have. I mean – I think you would probably say that their second best player before they got Kyrie would have been uh, Christian Wood would be my guess, maybe Kleber or, or something like that. So, I mean, there really is nobody that stands out to, to the caliber. Of, and that's enough of – that sentence enough is why they weren't good. But continue. Yeah, but I think but, – but they got themselves to the four seed, you know, so it's like – it's and that's a credit to Luca's greatness, but I think what went wrong is I think that was just such a colossal change in the middle of the year, and everyone says they gave up a lot for Kyrie, which they definitely did. Uh, with I think it was Dorian Finney-Smith being, being sort of the indemnity being the the keys to that trade, but I think I think that it was just a big big transition, and I think talent wise they got better, but. I don't know if Kyrie has proven other than, you know, when he played with LeBron that he's a, a winning player. Obviously he's a, a very talented player, but I think I, I just don't know if uh I, I'm shocked that they've got as bad as they got, but what went wrong, I think I think just not having enough time to uh get used to playing with each other. And I think both of them are they don't complement each other well. I think the best guy to put next to Luca would be you know, maybe a lob threat big man that plays defense or maybe a two-way, you know, small forward. You think of a guy like a Jimmy Butler, a Kawhi Leonard, a Paul George, someone like that I feel like would fit so well with with Luka. But I don't think another ball-dominant, non-defensive-minded guy who who wants to take that last shot was a guy that would be great. You know, I mean, maybe if the idea was to get the ball out of his hands more, Kyrie's definitely a good guy to pick. But at the same time, Kyrie's not really a true point guard anyways. Maybe a guy like Chris Paul a few years back would have fit better with uh with with Luca, but I don't know if I don't know if they were the right pairing to begin with, but certainly not having a lot of time to adjust hurts hurts their case and uh ultimately ended up ended them up where they were, even though they sort of gave up on the season towards the end. Yeah, I mean I think it's an interesting case because for me, I'm not putting a lot of the blame on Kyrie. I think Kyrie's the easy scapegoat just because obviously all the headlines he's caused the last however few years, whether that's not on the court or in Brooklyn, 
COVID, whatever. There's been a lot of a lot of Kyrie problems, but to me, Kyrie really wasn't the problem here. I mean, I think the problems existed before Kyrie got there and they just continued after. And I think obviously Kyrie's a super talented player. Like I think he's one of the best players in the NBA, whether you like him or not. But at the end of the day, this team couldn't play any defense. I mean, Luka doesn't play defense. Kyrie doesn't play defense. And they have no inside presence. I mean, Christian Wood, I think, is probably one of the most overrated players in the NBA. I think on paper, he looked okay because he had a couple of good years in Houston when they were kind of, I mean, they still are rebuilding, but when they were rebuilding and he was kind of just filling it up a little bit. Sort of reminds me of a Hassan Whiteside in Miami sort of tenure where it was like, a lot of empty stats, and you got the points, you got the rebounds, you got a lot of blocks, but it wasn't really, like, that impactful, per se. He sort of reminds me of that. And I think this Dallas team just didn't – I mean, they just aren't – they have no depth and no defense. And that's just a recipe for disaster, especially in the regular season when there's just so many games and it's hard to rely on one, I guess, two players in this case, kind of just carrying your team every night. And obviously, Luca, I think, is great. And I think he is good enough that he willed them to being at least in the conversation. But at the end of the day, I think outside of Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving, this is maybe the weakest roster in the NBA. You know, it's funny. You're talking about, you know, what what should we do? Or what should they do, or rather, to, to, for the future? And I think, um, you know, not having enough time to gel, which you said, Max, I think is a good point. But the defense is, is a huge problem. And if I'm them, I'm cutting ties with Wood and, and seeing if, if some team, maybe like a Miami, could try to rehabilitate him defensively and, you know, a team that needs the offense. And, uh, you know, not that deep dive into the draft, but, you know, if I'm if I'm them and I'm getting a, a you know, a lottery pick, maybe you can try to get one of these players, you know, like a Cam Whitmore from uh, Villanova or something like that, um, or just really anyone, you know, that people agree has a high defensive upside. And, you know, I think keeping Kyrie is probably the right move just because they traded assets for him. And I think You're that too invested. You know, he's, he has won a championship. They're too invested, and I think, yeah, I mean, I don't think this should be the the, se- the second half of the season. I don't think that should represent, you know, their potential as a duo. But yeah, I, I don't think they had enough time to overhaul the rest of the roster with a bunch of defenders at that deadline. And I think um, they saw the problem of having, you know, your three best scores being pretty much minus defenders. Although I know there are some decent Kyrie metrics out there. We all kind of, I'm assuming, would agree is not, uh, you know, a good defender by any means. So, you know, I think. Uh, Time in the offseason to, to change the roster around, I think is going to help. But, you know, because um, I, I really do think Kyrie and him on paper look great as a duo. And I could see them going far in the playoffs in the future. And I think if you cut Kyrie, if you don't re-sign him, and I don't know what that's going to take, whether you're going to have to give him a max contract or not, you're sort of admitting defeat and you're, you're moving on. But by continuing the experiment, you're at least giving your cha- yourself a chance to succeed. Right? I mean, that would be a shame if they gave up some assets for a guy that they just let walk and overall your team got got worse you lose a guy you you traded for and took 20 games or whatever for you guys to uh to admit that that it didn't work out so i think that they have to uh re-sign and find a way to do it even though i don't think he's the best fit for that team you've kind of just uh, got to put your foot down and say we're going to try to make this work the best the best we can yeah, I mean, I think they're going to resign Kyrie. I don't think, I don't think they have a choice, really. I mean, you like you said, if they don't resign him, you're kind of just admitting failure. But I do think the only, the only positive if you don't resign Kyrie is you have more cap space and you have more flexibility going forward. But then at that point, 
with Luca. I mean, you're not gonna. I think, I think the best thing they did this year was throwing that last game against the Bulls, essentially, and getting in the top ten of the draft and hoping they can do well, get lucky in the lottery. So I think that gives them a chance to land another superstar in house. But yeah, like you said, I think they can't give up on the Kyrie experiment. I mean, it would just be admitting defeat, and then at that point, you just gave up your second and third best role players for nothing. And you're banking on someone else coming to Dallas and signing with them, which at this point, I, I don't know. I mean, I, at least in the short term, it's not really, I don't think it's supposed to be a spectacular free agency class or anything. And if you don't. And who goes to Dallas? Best free agent they ever got in the history of, uh, of everything is uh, DeAndre Jordan. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who it is, but. It's, yeah. It's, no, I think you're, you're it's right. a hot spot. I can't think of anyone coming to Dallas, but I do think there's this decent pitch with Dallas. I mean, you say come play with Luca, and there's no state income tax, which is something I think a lot of the players care about. So there's a pitch to come to Dallas. A warm place. I mean, there's a little bit, but we we haven't seen it much before, so I don't think all of a sudden it'll be a – I don't know if Luca Luca's a great player, but I don't know if he's a guy that people are going to jump to play with. He's a ball dominant guy, and maybe that's because the the rosters have been a little lackluster. But maybe I don't know if I don't know if you if you're another star player, do you want to play with a guy like that? I think you have some of the same concerns with Luca as you is some as you did with uh, James Harden when he was at his peak. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously the the talent's on question. I think talent wise, he's top three player in the NBA. So they clearly have the potential to do something great there. It's just a question of if they can put the right pieces around him before, I guess, in this day and age in the NBA. They got to do it before Luka decides he wants out of Dallas and doesn't doesn't want to put up with them waiting on to put the roster around him, you know. But, yeah, obviously, I think that was really the only super disappointing team that didn't make the play in it at the very least. But I want to hear from Jack about his Portland Trailblazers before we move on to the plan. Well, I, I got to say they, they have some important decisions to make, and I think it's all going to come down to what the draft position is. You know, we uh, today we've secured the fifth best odds at the first pick, ten and a half percent, which isn't too too bad with the flattening of the odds. And I think you know if you're the, if you're a Blazers fan, you know I think you just have to accept that it's going to come down to that draft uh, that draft uh, position that we get because if we get a top two pick. You know, you, you may end up just saying, all right, let's rebuild around Sharp, who showed a lot of flashes the last month of the season, uh, last 10 games, averaging about 24 a game. Simon's obviously 23 years old, really young. And, you know, whatever Dame's worth is going to be, you know, a good haul. And whatever that top pick is going to be, you know, maybe a Brandon Miller. And, you know, I think you can get really excited about that. But otherwise, you know, I think that they should maybe look towards, if they get, you know, the fifth pick, which they're maybe slated to get, I'm curious if they want to package that. They have the Knicks first round pick because they they made the playoffs, so it should be about the 23rd, 24th pick in the draft. Maybe they could package those guys together, maybe including a guy like Simons, and, and maybe they can go and try to get themselves uh, a more elite uh, player on someone's roster. You know, I'm sure guys like you know Luca and, and and you know Zion probably aren't available, but maybe they can get themselves a, a Pascal Siakam. I mean, that might even be an overpay Simons and and the and a top five pick and in the, the 24th pick or something like that. I, I you know I don't know how to value it exactly, but um, I wonder, you know, I, I do just have to wonder what direction they're going to go because I think they have enough assets in both directions to really make an argument. 
they could, you know, I think they, they would be a team that people would be excited about rebuilding wise. They have enough young guys, but you know, Dame in his prime, he signed up for many years in the future. I, you know, personally, I'd like to see them try to uh, make one final push and see if there's, you know, a star that they can't get to, to put next to Dame, but a real, a real all NBA type guy, you know, not, not just uh, a Bradley Beal or a Zach Levine that, that wouldn't really get me excited. So we'll see who's out there. I don't know who's really available, you know, at that, uh, you know, it's maybe the heat, maybe they say, Hey, you know, we're going to, we're going to move on and we're going to move towards the future. And we might move on from Gene Butler. That might be a good fit, even though he's probably, you know, see, has seen better days, you know, uh, in terms of Zayk, he's, he's getting up there, but um, you know, I, I'd like to, I'm hoping they can get something like that. Yeah, that'd be really exciting. Yeah. I mean, I think they're definitely in an interesting position. I mean, obviously the whole Dame debate has been pretty polarizing the last few years, whether they should trade him or keep him. And obviously they haven't won anything with him. I think that's the clear it's the clear answer. But I think they're in an interesting position with obviously having the position being the possibility of a top five pick now this year, which is hasn't really been the case. I mean, they've been typically good enough that they're a, a lower seed in the playoffs, or even when they have missed, they've like just missed. So I think it was a great tank job to close out the year to get them in this position. But I think it does put you also in an interesting position is if obviously you get the top five pick, do you just go all in towards Dame or do you go all in towards rebuilding a brand new roster around whoever this first round pick is, Shaden Sharp, Anthony Simons, all the young guys. So I think they're honestly, I think them and Dallas are Pretty much the two teams, in my opinion, are the two biggest questions in the offseason of what they're going to do going forward. And as a basketball fan, honestly, I know it might hurt you, but I would love to see them trade Damian Lillard. I know he's publicly come out and said he doesn't want to be traded and he wants to be a Blazer his whole career, which I do respect because I do feel like it's so rare that you have players that want that these days and just like don't really give into the whole ring culture and want to just kind of build it where he was picked, which I think is cool. But also as a fan, I just think the reality is they're probably not going to win a championship contender in Portland around him. And it would be fun to watch him play on a team that is a contender. Max, you have any thoughts? Yeah. I'm, I'm Anywhere you'd like to see game go? I, uh, where I would want to see him go, I think, just, I don't, I don't really have a thought on that, but I think uh, Dame has been extremely loyal. But at the same time, they every time they've had an opportunity to give him a contract extension, they give it to him. He's been one of the highest paid players in the league for a while now, and he's the the, the main point of the of the offense. And he's been able to put up big numbers. And for being in a small market, he's gotten a lot of recognition. I think everyone kind of admits no matter what's going on every single year, he's a top three point guard. So although it's great that he's been loyal, I think there hasn't really been a reason to be, to be disloyal other than the fact that they haven't really surrounded him with a ton of great pieces, especially these last uh, couple of years have been a little confusing with some of the decisions they've made starting off when they kind of, when they got rid of CJ, even though some people might say that they had a lot of time together and couldn't really do much. Beyond those two guys, they never really had a, a great third option. So, and you know, I think they got Josh Hart, and then they got rid of Josh Hart, and then Grant was a great pickup. He played well, but still is not, you know, a great second option. I don't think. 
and they just made a lot of weird decisions as a team. But I think Dame, even though he he wants to be loyal and he, he always talks about, I think he mentioned Reggie Miller the other day, um, and kind of compared himself to Reggie in a song or something. Um, I think they should get rid of him. I think it's in his best interest, and I think it's in the team's best interest to uh, to get rid of him. I think you you dump him while he's well, he has a ton of value. I think if Gobert could get the, the, the haul that they got for Gobert, I think it's going to be a massive, massive haul for Dame, any team that wants him, which might be a problem because any of the teams that want him, they're going to have to give up a lot. When you get Dame, you still want to be competitive. And if you're giving up a ton of assets, you the assets that made you competitive in the first place and you want to add Dame to that, you you sort of might move down. So that's an interesting thing with, with that. But I, I would get rid of him if, uh, if I'm Portland. Rebuild, you're going to get a top pick, whether it's one, two, three, four, five, six, whatever. You're going to get a top pick. And you've got Sharp and Simons and a lot of uh, pretty good young players to, to build around. So um, I'm with Nate. I say you move him while you can, get a lot of value for him. And he can go off and hopefully, hopefully send him to a place where he can win. You know, you put him next. I mean, you know, out of desperation, the Clippers got uh, Westbrook. But if they were able to pull that off somehow, the Clippers would love him. The Lakers would love him. The Heat would love him. I think he fits great with with a lot of teams, obviously, because I think you just plug him right in. So that's my thoughts on the whole Dame situation and just Portland as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I think Dane's the type of player that you can pretty much put him on any team and he'll be great still. But I think the only interesting thing about trading him, too, is although I do think he'll have a big market, like, obviously, I think he's a great player and any team would be happy to trade for him. I'm not sure, like, which of the contending teams, like you said, kind of have the assets to make that trade happen. Like, if you just go through the top teams. Austin's I mean, probably at the top of that list. Don't you think Boston would would somehow try to package maybe a Jalen Brown or or something like I that? I don't think they would give up Brown for him. I mean, I think they'd rather stick with Brown just because he's been there and he's younger. Yeah, I think he's only like twenty six or twenty seven. Unless, unless Brown says he wants out, which has also been a rumor, but yeah, but we'll see. I think they would be at the top of that list. They have some assets, but if they didn't want to give up Brown, that would. Knicks could be interesting. Not that I think the Knicks, I don't know if that makes the Knicks a title contender, but RJ Barrett and Quickly and Obi Toppin and every pick they have could be an interesting I mentioned I mentioned the Heat. I don't know if they could put the package together, but I think a package surrounding Hero. I don't think they have the I don't think the Heat have enough assets. I don't think they have any of their draft picks either. I is okay. there a world where the um, Lakers trade Davis, or is that is that crazy? That's crazy. Yeah, I don't know because you're basically getting a guy at like a similar age and same draft class and everything. And I, yeah, I don't know why. Uh, I mean, Davis went healthy. We, we know is is good. I mean, I mean, Davis is. I don't know. Yeah, I guess they went probably years younger. I think. Oh yeah, because yeah, Dan was four years. Yeah. Yeah. Like bring him to the Kings. Nah, but that that would they wouldn't do that. No, there really Fox. aren't that many teams that make that much sense, honestly. It it depends. I think once we we know his actual true value, it would help. Do, like if if a package surrounding Tyler Hero 
if that was enough, then we would we, we could start to pick up some mention some some teams. But if that's not even in the ballpark of what Portland would want for him, then it starts to get really limited because then you start to get to the Jalen Browns of the world and and like you mentioned, we don't even know if Boston would want to do that unless Brown wanted out. So yeah, I don't know if there's a ton of a ton of teams, but just because he's so good and he's he's that impactful, teams will find a way. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I hate it, this idea, but I was gonna throw in. I mean, I think it would take someone unloading the whole the whole draft pick clip to get him. Like, pretty much give your four first all the swaps, pretty much everything you can. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. I would say I hate this idea, but I'm looking through the the standings here. Wouldn't Atlanta try to trade a Trey Young? Because there's been some some beef there between him and management. I mean, I don't I don't really love Trey Young as a player, but I wonder. If, uh, you know, but they do have a good team around around Trey. And if you put Damon there, you know, I think they would be more competitive. But I don't know if that's going to put him over the top. And again, Trey's so young that it's hard to imagine them even doing that despite no the, the potential. Yeah. Uh, but it might be hard to see them doing that despite the, the problems with the management. I still don't know if they would they would do that. So it's it's hard. It's really hard to find a fit. And his salaries and you start making 50 million uh, coming up in these next couple of years. And, and you know, you're going to have to put together so much salary to even uh, to even move a guy like this so it's gonna be real weird to see you know what that looks like that trade market if they if they start putting out feelers for his price that's not a bad idea I could totally see if they were willing to get a little older if they were willing to swap that out Atlanta I mean would Portland want to uh to get Trey Young it just I guess depends what their thoughts are on him but I mean you never know but he's certainly a good enough player where it'd be worthwhile to talk about but I think Trey, even though he is a younger guy, like you mentioned, um, <laughs> he's just, I don't know if he, he had that one good Eastern Conference Finals run, but I don't know if he's a winner himself, even though his statistics sort of portray him as a top banana. I don't know if he really is. I think, I don't think Trey Young gets enough credit. Like, I think he's having a down year. And I think, I just think the reason the narrative people don't like Trey Young is because I think people want him to be better than he is. Like, I think, like, they made that conference finals appearance in, like, obviously Trey Young puts up crazy counting stats. So you want him to be, like, a top five, top ten player, and he just isn't that. I think he's, like, probably rounds out, like, the top 20-ish, 25 range, which is still a really good NBA player. I just think people don't, people don't want him. People want him to be better than that. And that's just not who he is at this point. And I think he still could he's elevate a, his game, but yeah. He's a good player, but at the end of the day, if he is that guy, I mean, they have a good enough roster around him with Hunter and Capella and Collins and, uh, you know, they have Bogdanovich, Murray that they got, you know, to try to compliment him. You know, we saw last year he was put in a jail cell by a 58-year-old P.J. Tucker. So I think – that can't happen. You know, I think he, he disappears. And also the shot selection is just not of what you expect from a winner. I think he, he settles a lot. I know he's smaller, but I don't know if he's really, I don't know if he's someone you would really want to build your team around because like I said, Atlanta has a good team. I think on paper, they've got, I think if you, if you switched him out with, if you put Luca on the Hawks right now, I think they're a top four seed in the, in the East. And obviously, Lucas probably you know is the better player for sure. But I don't know if, like Jack mentioned, I think if you put Dame on that team, they, they do improve. Even though if you look at their counting stats, 
they're they're similar. They both put up a ton of points, but I think Dame would make them a much much more serious team. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting point. I think we can move it in the play in here now that we're talking about Atlanta so much, but. I think I agree. I mean, I think the Hawks were also one of the bigger disappointments to the league. I think, obviously, they made the conference finals, like I said, and it, it was felt a little fluky. I mean, I didn't think at that point you were ready to call them a top whatever two team in the East. But, like, if you said they were going to kind of after that, I don't – I forget where they finished last year, but I, I believe they lost in the first round. And then this year, obviously, oh, yeah, they, they, were eight. They, they were eight, but I don't know if, where they finished record-wise, but – through the play and they ended up being the eight seed. So yeah. So they play in last year, playing again this year. Like I think it's a team that I think should be better. I mean, they're pretty deep. They got a lot of good young pieces and they just can't really put it together. And I agree, a lot of it comes down to Trey Young maybe not being good enough to be that number one star player to carry them. But I think it's pretty disappointing to think where they were and then where they are now. But yeah, like with that, like I want to ask too, like, um, do you think they have any chance to win a series this year? I mean, obviously they got to go through the play-in first. I assume we all think Miami's going to beat them in the first play-in game. Does anyone disagree? No, I think Miami's like five-point favorites. Um, obviously Miami will have the home court advantage. They tend to play well against Trey Young, shooting terrible percentages throughout the last I think like eight or ten times you know Trey has played the heat I think they match up well with them and they've got a lot of defenders they could put on him Martin Vincent Butler even when Bam's on him he'll do a good job and I think I mean it, it's a one it's a, it's cool because it's a one game thing and if Trey is hot and is playing well they always have a chance and they have a good enough team where you never know and Miami has shown that they've been inconsistent throughout the year, but I would be shocked if they got past Miami, to be honest. And if they ended up playing, it would be Boston, I guess. I would see them getting swept. So I would say they lose on Tuesday against Miami, and if they do win that game and they play Boston, I think I don't think they, they win a game. Or if they do, they win one game against against uh boston or if they ended up losing to miami and then it would be beating the bulls or the raptors if they played the bucks same result in my opinion yeah i agree i mean i don't think at this point it's i don't think especially because they're gonna end up i think if you you put them against i mean obviously they beat philly two years ago but I don't think they have any chance against Boston or Milwaukee. Frankly, I don't think any of the playing teams do at this point. But I think we can talk about Miami in a little bit later, but Miami is the only one that I think can make a little bit of noise. And honestly, I'm looking at the playing matchups now. I think both conferences, I think obviously Miami in the East and I think the Lakers out West are pretty straightforward, the best team in the plan. So I'm expecting both of them to handle business, win the first game. And then for the eight seed in both, honestly, it could be any of the teams. Uh, the West is a little more exciting, obviously. The East, a little more underwhelming towards the bottom this year. But the West should be interesting, I think, between Minnesota, uh, New Orleans, and Oklahoma City. 
Uh, obviously, Oklahoma City, the surprise team. Minnesota, I think people sort of expect them to be here, so maybe it's sort of a letdown that they're in the play-in. And then New Orleans, honestly, they started out super hot. Then Zion goes down, and this sort of limped into the middle of the season. But then Brandon Ingram, was, I, I think, one of the most underrated players in the NBA this season. I, I mean, if you watched any Pelicans game the last – I don't know, 15, 20 games down the stretch. Like, he's been phenomenal. So, to me, I think the Pelicans are my pick to get the second spot out west. I think they're going to be Minnesota. I don't know so what you guys think. So, you think Lakers? Think. Yeah, I think we'll, so we we all agree on Lakers and Miami. And then yeah. I think it's a toss-up between Bulls and Raptors. And then I thought maybe you know, it would be Minnesota. Um, but, Jack, do you have a thought? I mean, it's... I think that's also just I, I'm not sure. We'll see what kind of we'll see what happens. I I'm not sure. If I had to take a team in the West to be the eighth seed, I think I would probably ride Ingram's hot streak and probably have them as the eighth seed. They won't have home court advantage. Uh if you're looking at where they they, they finish at uh, 42 and 40. So they have the nine seed. So I'll have to win once and then beat uh what we assume to be Minnesota. So we'll see. But I, I feel like uh the way Ingram's been playing. Um, I, I like them a lot, and uh, they're pretty deep even without Zion. Obviously, you know, they, they looked really good when they had him, but, you know, guys like Herb Jones and and, and uh, their rookie, Dyson Daniels, uh, I think they have uh, the talent to, to beat Tim Wolves. And now they potentially don't have Gobert. We'll see. I'm guessing he'll play, but, you know, he might get some sort of uh, team repercussions. I, I doubt they ban him uh, for a game or suspend him, but, you know, then you may lose uh, Vanderbilt. And uh, so I, I, I like the Pelicans. And then in the East – you know, I, I guess I would take the Hawks if I had to. Um, but, you know, I think any of those teams, I mean, you have DeRozan and Levine on a team, you know, either of them got, uh, could score 50 and, you know, I could easily see them, um, you know, getting that eighth spot. So it'll, it'll be it'll be interesting. Do we have thoughts on the Lakers as uh, as uh, to win any or make some any real noise in the playoffs besides just winning that play-in? Oh, I think I think they're going to make noise. I'm, I'm a big supporter of the Lakers. And it might be a bit biased. I'm not sure because I'm a big I'm a big LeBron guy. But I do think with the trades they made, and it's hard because it just, again, small sample size. They made most of the deal, trades at the deadline. And it would pretty much revamp the whole roster. But I think the Lakers are one of the deepest teams in the league. And obviously, the, your rotation gets smaller in the playoffs. But I think LeBron and Anthony Davis is still as, as good of a duo as pretty much any team can offer. And I think they have the depth that gives them some flexibility to kind of give different looks depending on who they end up playing. And I would not be surprised to see them make a legit run. If they, if LeBron and Anthony Davis stay healthy, obviously. Honestly, I have, so I got the Lakers obviously coming out of the play and as a seven seed and I have them, if they play the Grizzlies beating the Grizzlies in six, I don't think, I don't know if I trust the Grizzlies and I think this Lakers team post the Russell Westbrook era has been a completely different team. I think every single move that Rob Polinka made has been valuable and helpful and they are a much better overall team. And I think if the season started over right now with their new roster, they would be assuming they were healthy. They would be a top four team in the West. And I, I just, I've got faith in LeBron. I, I don't know if that just because I've been watching him all these years and he, mostly seems to find a way, but if, if da- especially if Davis is hundred percent healthy and playing the way we know he's capable of playing, 
they, they they actually have more talent than than Memphis and any LeBron led team is going to have a chance anyways. But I think they're they're on the same level as Memphis, or honestly, I think they're better. So I'll, I'll take them for sure. I mean, the stars could align for that. I mean, they're they're missing Adams, and we know how big of a deal he is on the on the boards. Uh, I think he has um, the the numbers behind his, his teams in terms of rebound uh, per game. You know, we know that even when he wasn't grabbing a ton in Oklahoma, you know, his boxing out is Clark's out, and uh, you know, and and they've been pretty banged up. And and I think that you know it could be one of those perfect situations if Davis is playing, uh, and, and you know, I mean, they, they might not be able to handle him uh, down there. And then you know, they're they're. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of what they've built. I mean, I think uh, Vanderbilt is, is a potentially an all-defensive candidate. Um, and, you know, obviously LeBron, you know, and, and D'Angelo Russell, if he could just figure it out for a series, you know, I, I don't see why uh, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't easily beat the Grizz. Not, maybe not easily, but, you know, they, they could come out of that series uh, and look real scary for uh, whoever wins that, 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 the, the 3-6 matchup. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing you said is no Adams and no Brandon Clark. and I think Anthony Davis is going to eat. I don't think they have an answer to stop him. And obviously, look, Jaron Jackson Jr., defensive player of the year candidate. But like we said, he's not playing. He doesn't play 40 minutes a night. Like He's playing half the game, essentially. And he's been a guy that gets a lot, gets in foul trouble a lot. And I just don't think they have the depth to guard Anthony Davis if they remain healthy. So I like the Lakers for sure to win that series if that ends up being the matchup ultimately. Uh, the question I want to ask is, do you think, obviously, I think the Lakers are kind of the fun team to talk about just with the season that they've had and kind of coming back from the dead. But do you think the Warriors are like, or the Lakers are a more dangerous team to make a run? I think, uh, you know, I saw some stats online about how the best lineup in basketball this year still remain to be uh, Curry, Clay, Wiggins, uh, Draymond Green, and Looney. And, you know, it depends on how much faith you have in Wiggins as a, a guy coming back who hasn't played in, you know, 20-something games. But I, I think they could be real dangerous. I mean, I uh, I actually have the the Warriors beating the Kings in the first round. I think I had them in seven games just because I, I do I do trust them if Wiggins can come back to form and, and be an impactful player, which, you know, I think he definitely can be. I'm sure he's been practicing, um, not just sitting on the couch this whole time. So, you know, I, I think uh, I would personally – say that they have a, a better chance to make a deeper run. And I only say that because of the injury concerns with the Lakers and what we've seen from LeBron and Davis. Uh, you know, if Davis, you know, you know, lands wrong and it puts his ankle, then all of a sudden they might lose to the Grizzlies or if they can somehow make it out of that round, then, you know, again, you know, I just, it's hard to imagine him being healthy for a few months uh, and Davis specifically, and uh, not the worst, the healthiest team ever, but um, you know, full strength, they seem to be real dangerous. Um, for me, it's a it's a toss up. I think the Warriors. I don't think they've looked like themselves the entire year, but when they have things clicking and, and rolling, we know that Clay and Steph can be, you know, a really really dangerous duo, and they they still have Pool, Draymond, and a, a bunch of good role players. And I think that I would say the Lakers are more dangerous because I think. Like Nate, just like you mentioned, Davis and LeBron, there are no two better players when healthy at this point. I don't, I don't think. I mean, you could argue maybe Tatum and Brown. Um, and, and, and there are a bunch of good duos. Don't get me wrong, but they are as good as anybody else. So I would say that the Lakers are more dangerous. But 
you never know with the Warriors' chemistry and superb coaching from from Steve Kerr. They, they're just as dangerous as uh, any of the lower seeded uh, teams. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm going to side with the Lakers. I agree with you because for me, like I said earlier, LeBron and AD, I think that just when they're healthy and get going. I think that's the most unstoppable duo in the league, especially in a playoff setting. But I think the Warriors are interesting too because obviously the question is, can they turn it on? Because I feel like you know LeBron. You know he doesn't – throughout his year, I mean, obviously he's older at this point in his career, but you know he can turn it on in the playoffs and he has that second gear. And obviously you can question his age, whether he can still do that. But the Warriors, I think, obviously they won last year. But when they've won, they've typically been dominant throughout the regular season as well and then gone on to win. It's a, For me, it's a question of if they can kind of just, like, turn it on in the playoffs. And I think a lot of it is, yeah, Wiggins missed them a lot of the time, and then he's coming back. And I think Wiggins obviously is a very important piece for them. But even when Wiggins was healthy the first whatever, or not healthy, whatever, but when he was playing the first – hand 30 whatever games of the season it's not like they were doing much better i mean they were still below 500 team the first 30 something games of the season so i think it's an it's an interesting question of if they're going to be able to turn it on and the sacramento matchup i think is super interesting too because obviously it seemed like everyone sort of wanted sacramento i mean as much as we talked about them as having an awesome season they are super inexperienced compared to everyone else they've never been there Pretty much all the very few players on that team even have any sort of playoff experience. So it should be interesting. I do think the Warriors, as much as it sucks, because I would love to see the Kings win a series, but I think the Warriors end up coming out of the first round. I think we end up with Warriors-Lakers in round two, which is, I think, could be the best. I don't know about the best series, but probably the most fun series of the playoffs. Yeah, that would be must-see TV. If we got LeBron and Steph and both of them define define the odds after what they've been through this season. So that would be crazy, and I'll, I'll hope for that. Is uh is there any other matchups you'd like to see? I mean, whether that's first round that you're excited to watch, or matchups potentially later in the bracket. Well, I think I think first round one of the more competitive series will probably be Cavs Knicks. I think that'll be interesting to see. I, I want to see what the size and the the great defense of the Cavs, how that matches up with New York. Cause you know, with Mitchell Robinson, Julius Randle, they've got, you know, some decent size themselves. I think talent wise, both teams are pretty even. I guess the Cavs have the best player of the two teams with Donovan Mitchell, but probably slightly, you know, I think Randall, Brunson, Mitchell, they're all in the same Garland. You could throw them in there. They're all in the same caliber of players. So I think, I think that should be a close one. Um, I think I've got Cavs in six, but I'm hoping that the Knicks pull it off. That would be great for for the team and for New York. And for our I've got no, for, yeah, for our grandfather. You know, we've got we've got uh, reasons to root for New York. So I think I think it'll be a close one. I think the Cavs will pull it off, but it would be amazing if New York could win. What about you guys? What do you guys think about that series? Um, yeah, I think it'll be a really good, probably the most exciting matchup of the first round, just from like a, a matchup standpoint. I'm with you with Cleveland winning. I think 
I think it'll go down to seven. I think the Knicks will fare better this in the playoffs this year than they have two years ago when obviously they didn't look so good against Atlanta. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, I think, again, like you said, it's kind of an interesting clashing of style. I mean, the way Cleveland's constructed, obviously it's, I think, very different than most of the modern NBA teams where they're playing two bigs pretty much more than any other team in the league with either Mobley, Jared, uh, Jared Allen, and I forget who's their backup big, but they pretty much always have well, two no, I was gonna say they've got Lopez, but I'm trying to think. Do they have? They had Love. They got rid of Love. Yeah, I was um, thinking Love. I forgot who they have. But regardless, they pretty much play two bigs the majority of the time, which is very different than how most teams are playing these days. Because I mean, Mobley and Allen are both non uh, floor stretchers. I mean, neither of them can really. I mean, Mobley can. He'll Mobley shoot can one occasionally, shot, but. Yeah, but it's two more traditional bigs, which you just don't really see in today's game very much. So I think it will be interesting to see how that works in a playoff setting, just because I think it's so different of basketball really than the regular season. It just uh, everything tightens up, your rotations get smaller, and that sort of thing. So it should be interesting, but I do think Donovan Mitchell will probably be the difference in that series. Um, I think, although I really like Brunson, and I do think Randall's great too. I think Mitchell's just going to be the best shot maker in that series. And I think at the end of the day, that's, that'll be the difference between the two teams. All right. So, Jack, do you have a thought on that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think I had the, the, the Cavs in my, when I was picking the teams, but I had it in seven games and I could easily see it going the other way for the Knicks. I mean, you know, obviously the Cavs seem like they have like slightly more star power. Um, but I think what, what Brunson and Randall have done, I mean, especially when they had that, that nice win streak going, um, you know, not uh, t- towards the end of the season. I think they've shown that they, they are a legit team. And, um, you know, it might come down to some of these these third and fourth guys. Can Barrett step up? Can he have a big game? You know, can can Mobley have, you know, a high-scoring game? I mean, he's been improved this season, but, but maybe not what we expected. Maybe some expected more. So I think, um, you know, I think it might come down to those those third guys. And, and uh, you know, it, it's, it's definitely exciting. And then on the Western Conference side, I think, um, speaking of those, the, the most exciting matchups, I have a strong opinions on the Suns-Clippers matchup being potentially the best this, this playoffs, um, at least in the first round. Just, you know, Kawhi versus Durant. Obviously, you know, George, we don't know the deal with him. I know reports currently are saying that he uh, has no timeline. But if he can come back, that'd be a, a crazy series just in terms of how, many, how much scoring you know, is on display and how much uh, defensive talent as well. Plus Westbrook and Durant, obviously going against each other. That's always going to be fun to watch. And uh, those guys always, I think, have a competitive edge against each other. So that should be good, I think. Do we all have the Suns beating the Clippers? Just want to make sure. Yeah, I mean, I think, especially if Paul George isn't playing, I don't I don't really think the Clippers have a chance without him. Just because, although obviously Kawhi's great. And Westbrook's been awesome. Like, he's been one of the most fun stories most fun players to watch honestly in the league since he went to the Clippers just like watching him kind of just watching him enjoy basketball again I think like he's when he was when he was in his prime he was a super fun player to watch and obviously he's not that but like just watching him kind of be able to do his thing again I think has been really enjoyable but yeah without Paul George I think Phoenix is gonna win I mean assuming Phoenix is healthy and Durant's playing they haven't lost with Durant in the lineup 
So I don't think a Clippers team without Paul George has a chance, really. I think if a win, I'll give him – without Paul George, I'll give him one game, maybe two. I don't think they'll sweep them. But I would not be surprised if Phoenix beat them in five. Yeah, I've got I've got five if Paul George comes back. Maybe six, but I think there's a big talent discrepancy even with both Kawhi and Paul George. Not a big one, but I think uh, Durant and Booker, Aiden, Paul, they've got, you know, they've got four really, really good players, whereas talent drops off after uh after George and uh Kawhi. So uh the only series we didn't talk about would be whoever Denver plays and then the Philly versus Nets. So do we, really quick, do we want to touch on the Nets series? I think, I think, do we all have Philly winning? Yeah, I think. Sure. Probably five. I don't know. Or five or four. I don't think Brooklyn gets more than a game. I think Philly's yeah. just so much more talented. And Brooklyn's a fun story, too. I mean, obviously, Mikel Bridges has been awesome since he got there. But at the end of the day, Philly's just better. Simple and the fact that. that they stayed afloat. The fact that they stayed afloat has been just awesome. But, I mean, their record is not who this team is. They've played well since everyone has been moved to that team. And it's a credit to uh, to the coaching staff. But if you started the, the season over with this roster, they're probably a play-in team. So yeah. I think they're – they may win one game, but I think that'll be that'll be over pretty quickly. And Philly's going to try to – do everything they can to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. And I don't suspect, first of all, they have nobody that can guard Joel Embiid. Claxton won't be able to, and they just don't have the, their best defender would be Mikel Bridges, who probably will do a really good job on Harden, but nobody in, in the world to to guard Joel. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, I hope Mikel is a good series. He's a Philly guy too. Went to Villanova, mm-hmm. grew up in Philadelphia. So I hope he does well, but they're not they won't win more than a game. And then what's the other yeah. series? Oh, uh, the other series would be Denver. Well, yeah. So we kind of already touched on uh, if we think the Hawks are going to end up coming out as that last spot if they beat um, Milwaukee, Milwaukee they sweeping getting... whoever they play in the first round. Yeah. I so we, I don't, we, we I don't think it matters. And then Denver, they'll they'll beat I think whoever. Whoever they play, also whether it if it's Minnesota or whoever, I think they've got it. The only, the only series that I think could be interesting from the play-in you mentioned earlier would be if Miami ends up playing Boston. I think they could make some noise. I'm a diehard Jimmy Butler fan, and I've seen every single Miami Heat game this year, so I know as much as anybody as far as the highs and the lows of of this season. We've been super inconsistent, but we've been able to beat a lot of good teams, but also lose to a lot of terrible teams. I think we've got a 58% win percentage against teams above 500, but against some of the the bad teams in the league, we've we've struggled. So we sort of, I don't want to say play down to our competition or the heat as a team, play down to their competition, but I don't think at any point throughout the season, they won more than five games in a row. And, being the number one seed last year and all they lost was PJ Tucker. They've kind of disappointed a little bit in terms of the record, but I think they're super dangerous still. And I think Jimmy Butler has had one of the better post all-star uh, runs, uh, certainly a top 10 player since the, the all-star break. So I think they're dangerous. I think they, they can match up with Boston as well as 
anybody can in terms of the lower seeds, but obviously odds will tell you that Boston, but they may, they may give, I'm not going to give a prediction just because I'm biased, but I think, I think they can give Boston a run for their money. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I mean, I agree. I think Miami's dangerous. Obviously, they've done it. They've made a run before, and they've. This is really the first year I think they've kind of fallen out of that. I guess it's like upper echelon of teams in the East. I mean, I think they were have been like a tear down from Milwaukee, Boston, Philly, whatever the last couple of years. But they were in the conversation and really until this year. But I I agree. I mean, I think with Jimmy Butler and Bam, I mean they're still a talented team. Like I would not. I don't think that they could beat Boston unless someone gets injured or something goes wrong, but I would not be surprised if they took Boston to six and made him sweat a little bit more than at least more than they'd like to. Yeah. I mean, on paper, we, we have, or the heat have some talent. I think beyond Jimmy Butler and bam, if hero can be an X factor and score at a efficient rate, as well as having Lowry off the bench and the new addition of love off the bench, um, and we got some good role players as well with, with Max Struess and Gabe Vincent, other other good pieces, but will it be enough? We'll see. I think, they'll, like we said, they'll get past Atlanta, hopefully, uh, for them. But then I think they can be dangerous. And you never know uh, in the playoffs with Jimmy, but it, it'll look like uh, Boston might be on another level. But I'm obviously rooting for Miami, and I think they've shown that they can beat anybody. Can they do it in a seven-game series? We'll we'll see. So, Jack, do you have any thoughts on on that? Because otherwise, that'll that'll be pretty much all the series. I think then we could quickly move on to all NBA, and then I think that's a that'll be a good recap. Oh yeah, I would just echo what you guys have said. I think that they can make the Celtics sweat a little bit. I, I would definitely take the Celtics to win, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised whatsoever if they could take them to six games and. You could even say if you told me right now that they would take them to seven, I still wouldn't even be that surprised. The way that they've Com- competed over the last couple of years it seems like they the heat although inconsistent do have the personnel to match up with them um with guys like butler and bam you know um so yeah definitely i would take the celtics but could see them making it yeah i mean you guys i think want to go ahead no, i was just gonna say i mean i think it should be a good series like miami's just a team i feel like they're gonna make they're gonna make a team sweat no matter who it is So for to moving on to like all NBA, if I think the best way to do it might be to, if one of us will mention a player and then we'll all acknowledge if we have them on any of our all NBA teams. And then if we don't, we could talk about, we could get into that. But I think a lot of the players, there isn't much discussion for just because I think we're all going to have uh, some, some overlapping players. And then the ones that we don't have, I think that'll be good to get into. Yeah, I mean, if they get started on the first team, I think the first team is the easiest one. I think your center is Embiid. Do you all agree on Embiid? I mean, yes. Yeah. Obviously, next year, Embiid and Jokic could both be on the first team, but it's just going to be Embiid this year. I think the forwards are going to be Tatum and Giannis. Pretty much unquestioned. And the guards are a little closer. This is where we might open disagreement, but I would go Steph. And. Probably Shea is my other guard. Interesting. So I've got Shea as well, and then I've got Donovan Mitchell in my first team All-NBA. But to be fair, 
because of the games played, I did not put Curry in any of my All NBA teams. But okay. his level of play is not an indication. So that's sort of obviously he he's been an All NBA player when he's played. So how many games did he end up playing? Fifty five, I think. If I got that down correctly. Yeah. I mean, I also don't. Right. So yeah. I don't have I don't have LeBron at fifty four. And I don't have Durant at 47. All guys, uh, if you take away that, you know, take away the games played, I would have somewhere in in the team. So I think, so for, I have Mitchell and I don't have Curry, but I don't know. Jack, who do you have as your, your other guard if you don't have, if you have Shai as well? Yeah, I have Shai at, at, uh, at guard and then I actually went different direction. Both of you guys, I, I did Luca at the guard spot uh, as well. I think, um, you know, obviously he was so good for the majority of the season. The record tanked with uh, with Kyrie post-trade, but I think what he did was uh, statistically really impressive, and I think that we saw what he could do as the best player on his team, you know, being a top four or five seed. So, I mean, I could easily see uh, – I, I could see the, the case for Mitchell because they had a lot more success. Obviously, Curry, um, you know, again, it just comes down to how, how many games you really cut it at. But, um, but I like that we all agreed on Shea as well. So it seems like we have at least four of the five locked up for first team yeah i i think it's it's pretty unquestioned i mean shay's the only really i think from the media perspective shay is really the only debatable one just because obviously they didn't have the same team success but i think just the how impactful he's been and how overperforming the thunder have been he certainly gets a nod for me and then second team gets a little more interesting because then it starts i think i mean like we talked about with steph it, it becomes a debate whether you're valuing the games played versus who did end up playing more games and had the success. I mean, I think obviously it's center, it's Jokic. The center, the centers were yeah. the easiest ones. And I think Sabonis is an easy third team center too. For sure. But as well, yep. the guards and forwards get interesting here. I put LeBron because okay. when LeBron, you could make an argument didn't play enough games. But I think LeBron will get the nod because he's still been incredible when he's been playing. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I was saying. So, I mean, if you if you ignore that, uh, then you could you could definitely – you would definitely – he might even be – you would try to squeeze him into first team or second team for sure. So, uh, that's all right. And then, so who are your other, uh, other picks? Um, then I have, well, another injured guy, but I, I still put Durant because, again – I don't know how many games did Durant end up playing. Like, I think 47. Played, 47. Oh yeah, so he might not get it. I I probably didn't take in, injuries into account enough on mine, but I think he obviously, if you're not counting injuries, I think he unquestionably deserves the spot. Um, and then my guards. I think the guards is a more interesting debate. I agree with you on Luca. I know you put him on your first team, Jack. Like you could hate on him all you want because the Mavericks suck, but he still put up 33 points a game. Like, it's hard to keep him off. And I think, although the team's success wasn't necessarily there, I think you know the talent's there. I mean, it's not like he hasn't had team success in the past. And I think, you know, I mean, obviously they didn't win a lot of games, but I don't think that's the blame. I think it's it would be unfair to put all that blame on him and not recognize him as one of the best players still. Mm-hmm. And then my other yeah. guard, I'm with you on... Donovan Mitchell, actually, because I think he was the guy that kind of elevated that Cleveland team and took him to the next level. Okay. Yeah, for me, so 
obviously I had Mitchell on my first team. For my guards, I have Fox, uh, De'Aaron Fox, and and Luca. The two forwards, or for the yeah, I had Brown, Jalen Brown, and Jimmy Butler, and then Jokic at the center, which we all agreed on. Um, so for me, like we said, uh, Luke Luca has to be here somewhere. If he's not first, he's got to be second. And him himself, he had a great year. Fox, big reason why the Kings have been so great. One of the best clutch stats of any player in the league. Brown, you know, his numbers speak for themselves. And obviously part of that successful Celtics team. For me, Butler, you know, the Heat have probably underperformed. His numbers have been great. I got him here, uh, 23 points, 5.3 assists, 6 rebounds, shooting 54, 85, 35. And then second in the league in steals, always going to bring, you know, his defense. And uh, I think the Heat would be a lottery team without him this year. So I think uh, I've got him up there, but that's so that's my second team. Um, yeah, yeah, I, think, I, had a, oh, yeah. I was going to say about Jimmy Butler, I think he's deserving. Like I think it would, it would be hard to say Jimmy Butler is still not one of the top 10, 15 best players in the NBA. But I'm not sure he's going to get the nod just because I feel like he's kind of a guy that doesn't necessarily... I mean, I feel like in, in the past, he hasn't necessarily done well with like awards and that sort of thing. And I think just with the Heat having a down year compared to the last, whatever, first few, few years of his tenure at the Heat, I would be surprised if he ends up getting a nod. At least second team. I think maybe he sneaks into the third team, but... Yeah, he didn't. Uh, he didn't make the All Star team, like you said. He doesn't always get acknowledged, for, like as far as that goes. Uh, but he's been very, very healthy throughout the second part of the second half of the year, and I think that might have been what kept him from being on the All Star team. So, uh, I I think he should. I don't know if he will. I'm with you. You you never know with him. He's one of those guys that at the end of his career he might have a, an underwhelming resume, given how good he actually was, just because missing games and just not being acknowledged uh, sometimes, but, but yeah. Jack, what about you? Um, I think my second team, so my second team at third team kind of broke down at, at differently. Um, I'll say the third team, but it kind of broke down the second team as other guys that really won a lot of games and the third team of guys that were a little more banged up, but we know are, are good. So basically my second team was John Morant, despite, you know, the, the, the thugging around, I think, you know, he was on, a team that was only one game away from being the first in the West. I got Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brown, Jokic, obviously, and then Julius Randle was my Ford. Um, all these guys are in the playoffs. All these guys are high seeds other than uh, really Randle, who's going to end up being a fifth seed. So I, I just value the winning, and all these guys played a good amount of games. Um, you know, even Ja, I think, still played, uh, I think, about um, low 70s in games. So, um, you know, I, I, I uh, that's how I broke it down. Um and then my third team was a bunch of guys who a little more banked up, but we know were were valuable and, and still some of the best in the league. Yeah, third, third team. You can go on your third team. Yeah, so yeah, my third say- team is the, that's where I put LeBron. Uh, I know fifty five games. Him and Curry as well. They're both in the fifty five game mark. So that's where I kind of put them. Although we all know that you know those guys could arguably be the best you know at their positions in the league. Sabonis so was the consensus third team. I think no one really argue on that. And then uh, I have Lillard and Butler as the other guard and forward. Um, you know, again, Lillard just had a spectacular season. 
And I think that's going to be a real debate between him and and Curry and, you know, a guy like Derek Fox who did win games. And, and you know, I think that's a really tough call. Him and James Harden obviously will bring an assist. So the guards are, are, are really difficult, but I that's how I, I separated it. Yeah, I like the nod for Dame on third team. I think that's where I have him too. Uh, I think Dame could even end up on be on the second team. Because as bad as the season as the Blazers had, I mean, Dame, Dame was phenomenal all year. Like, I think people kind of, just like the recency bias, you kind of forget how good he was at times this year. I feel like it was a career year for Dame, and I think a lot of people aren't going to remember that. So he's on the third team for me. Then, obviously, like you said, Sabonis. I think the centers are super easy. I mean, it's pretty st- – the only debate is really if you're a Jokic over Embiid on the first team. But the three guys, it's pretty much one question who deserves it. Then I have Jalen Brown as my, one of my forwards. And then the last two spots, I'm between two guys for both. The other guard, it's between Jalen Brunson and De'Aaron Fox for me. And then it's between Julius Randle and Anthony Davis. And I guess Jimmy, too. I didn't even, honestly, I forgot about Jimmy. Just like I said, I forgot about him when I was making yeah. my list. But I would probably lean, just to make an official pick, I would probably lean Brunson and Davis, just because if I'm going with the trend I've been going with, I'm kind of valuing uh, just like the talent, whether even if a player only played 50-something games compared to 70-something. And Davis has been pretty fucking incredible, honestly, when he's been healthy this year. So I think it's important he gets recognized in some capacity. I mean, obviously, like Jimmy, wasn't an all-star, but I like Davis. And then I put Brunson as my other guard because I think if he's not the most improved player, he should get recognized. He wasn't an all-star either, but it's just the jump he took. And there has to be one. One of the next guys has to make it. And I'll, I'll go Brunson. Yeah. So is John, is John not on any of your teams then? I didn't put Jaw. But the guards, oh, are, the, yeah, guards, that's, that's... the guards are so hard. I don't have Jaw either, and I also wow. needed a Nick player. So for my third team, I had Julius. We all agreed on Sabonis. I put Markin and DeRozan and Lillard for my to round it off. But I would have, uh, like I mentioned, a lot of the guys you mentioned, I didn't put because of the game. So um, that's that's where I was at for for that. But it was it's pretty close, especially like like to not have Jaw seems seems crazy. And the more I think about it, even though. I mean, I can't take Dame off the list, but at the same time, like, John needs to have a place on all NBA. So I don't, I don't know what to do. You know? Yeah, it's, it's hard. Uh, I mean, it's what? The guards, it's Curry, Shea, Dame, Luca, Ja, Jalen Brunson, De'Aaron Fox, Donovan Mitchell. I mean, there's like eight or nine guys for six spots. So some people are going to get snubbed. It's just the reality of it. Yeah, and I guess that it's a question. I mean, do you think maybe the answer is no, but do you think they should, because there are definitely guys that are worthy sometimes, do you think they should extend it to a fourth team, all NBA? Because I think we've seen that you could have eight or nine, you know, top bananas in the league, but at the same time, they're just, there just isn't enough spots for them. So, I mean, I don't think it's right. If Ja doesn't make a team this year, he clearly has led led the Grizzlies to to where they are and is a top point guard in the league, undoubtedly. So, it's hard to there's got to be a way to get him on on the list i think extending it to a fourth team would be crazy but at the same time 
there's enough talent around in the league where you could do it. Yeah, I mean, the league's just so talented that inevitably there's going to be guys snubbed every year. I mean, you even mentioned forwards like Kawhi, who actually ended up playing a fair amount of games for his standard. PG, uh, PG as well. PG, Markkanen in the conversation as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of guys, obviously. So I think for me, I don't know. I don't think you had a fourth team because it, at the end of the day, there's always going to be a line. And even if you have a fourth team, then you're just going to have more guys that you're going to say. That's true. That's should true. Should deserve to make the fourth team. But I think it'll be interesting next year when it switches to positionless. I don't know how that's going to impact it. Because honestly, like, I kind of like it because then there's more, I guess, freedom in like saying who's the first team, second team, third team. But also I think it is kind of nice to have like a kind of standard, whatever. It just makes it a little more straightforward. So it should be interesting to see how that works out. I mean, really the only knock on the positions, I think I really it all started is because there was no centers that were good in the league until for a while, until Jokic and Embiid started being two of the best players in the league, really. But I don't know. It should be interesting. Um, we'll see what happens. Honestly, I, my only problem with All-NBA, I mean, it's the same with All-Stars, too, is that, like, it just sucks that, like, it's in so many times it's, like, incentives in people's contracts, and it's just, like, not really a fair system to how they pick them, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think uh, it's interesting, too, to speak on the four the fourth team. So, 1988, was, that was the last season they did two All-NBA teams. They expanded to three. Uh, and they, partly because the league was expanding. So one could make an argument that they could add team, uh, a fourth All-NBA team as they add more teams to the NBA, maybe expand to 32, plus the way the league is going in terms of talent. But I, I think that it's probably best, you know, you got, you got to draw the line somewhere. And I think, you know, we're at a comfortable spot and, uh, you know, people are just going to have to miss the team. And in terms of positionless, I'm not the biggest fan of that because historically when you look back, that's just what it is, you know, pe- you know, People are upset with uh, Embiid and Jokic, and one of them's got to miss it, uh, the first team. But that's the way it's always been. You know, Bill Russell and Wilt, Kareem and Moses Malone. I mean, th- those are just the center position examples. But there's always going to be someone that's going to get cut. And, and you know, there's there are years where the, the best players in the league are at the same position, and that's what it comes down to is uh, someone's got to be on the second team. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. That's the way the league's moving, especially, you know, I understand that players are definitely more fluid with their positions now. Um, you know, guys like DeRozan who are like listed power forwards sometimes, obviously it's getting a little ridiculous, but um, I think historically when you look back, you know, it, it, that's just what it's always been. You know, people, people are are fighting with other guys at their position. Yeah, I agree with you. And I also think like going in the position thing, I think it's kind of gone a bit exaggerated, the whole like idea of positionless basketball. And although I agree, it's a lot, I mean, obviously it's way more free flowing than it has been historically with teams playing like up to four guards in, some teams not really playing a traditional big all the time, but there still is position. So like it, to me, it, it just creates a more balance in the system. And like you said, it's just the way it's been. And there's, there's no way to cut it where there's not going to be snubs. There just always will be snubs. So uh, there's no way to perfect it, honestly. And I think where it's at now is, is fine. Fine with me, honestly, even if it's not perfect, but that's really all we got for all NBA. I think, Last thing before we close this out, uh, I just want to hear everyone's finals prediction and any other, any other bold picks they got in the playoffs. Finals prediction. Um, if I had to guess, I'm. I think it'll be. 
I'm going to say, I think Milwaukee would be the favorite for sure. If I had to guess to come out of the East and then out of the West, I guess I'll go Suns. I guess I'll go Suns if I had to pick Suns versus the Milwaukee rematch. Yeah. Well, what about you? Yeah, I'm the same thing. Yeah, same thing. I, I actually uh, Bucks Suns uh, Bucks in six games. Uh, I had the conference finals. Uh, I, I was kind of going with the the Suns and, and the Warriors there, uh, just because I'm yeah you know, I, I believe in them. And then on the East side, I have a uh, Bucks Celtics. So, but I have the Bucks winning again, and uh, I think it's going to be Giannis's moment to really prove that he's arguably uh, the second best power forward ever to to Tim Duncan. He could really start making that case. So, what about you? Yeah, I think it's hard to, it's really hard to pick against the Bucks. But for the sake of being different, I'm gonna say LeBron gets ring number five, and he they he they stay healthy, they stay healthy, all time run for the ages cements his legacy as the greatest. It's gonna be awesome, and I think they probably forward to it. They probably play against the Bucks. Also, if I'm throwing out another prediction, I do think I think Philly might beat Boston. And I think it's hard because I think Boston's a much more complete team. But it, I don't know. Just the way Philly's kind of been coming on, I think they're not getting enough attention. And Boston's sort of not limping, but compared to how they how good they were early on, they don't seem like the same dominant team that they were for the first half of the season. And I think I like Philly to beat them. But then that's going to be their that, that, that's going to be their NBA Finals, and they're going to lose to the Bucks in the next series if it happens. They won't. They won't have the gas That's for another cool. one. And I think Denver loses their first game. They'll win the series in five, but they'll lose the first game, and everyone's gonna panic. Just sounds. This sounds too right. Seems like a thing they would do. Yeah, I can see that. I like I can it. see that. But yeah, I think that's all we got. Uh, I appreciate all the listeners out there. Uh, it was a fun episode, and it should be an exciting playoffs.